Good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to your Bibles, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, New Testament. In the Pew Bibles, the page number is 1196. 1196. James chapter 1. And we'll be reading uh, from verse 22 through verse 27. That's James 1, 22 through 27. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now go across the page to verse 14, down where it says faith and deeds. And I'm going to read right through verse 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same day, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies? and sent them off in a different direction, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And God bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. There we go. There we go. That's right. Thank you, Mark.
He's back there saving all of us. That could have been ugly. Thank you for saving all of our lives this morning. Bruno Mars has something that he wants all of us to know. There's something that Bruno wants us to know about himself. And Bruno has been very successful in getting the word out about himself. Uh, His song, Uptown Funk, uh, at this point has been the number one song of the decade. For 14 weeks, it was consecutively the number one song in the country. And the entire song is about him wanting wanting us to know something about him. And that thing that Bruno wants us to know about him is he wants us to know just how hot he really is. The entire song is just about how hot Bruno is. And so, of course, the, the, the question which the song raises, and then in my mind satisfactorily answers, but the, the question which it raises is, well, Bruno, why should we believe you? Why should I believe you? You say uh, that you're hot, right? Why should I believe you? And the answer that Bruno gives is exactly the same answer that James gives to an entirely different question. The answer that Bruno gives to that question is exactly the same answer that James gives in this passage to an entirely different question. The question which Bruno is answering is, well, how do we know that you're hot? Uh, That's not the question James is answering. James doesn't give a rip about being hot. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with being hot. I don't want to offend the hot people in our church. You know who you are. You know who you are, Laura Hanley, right? Not that there's anything wrong necessarily with with being hot. There's nothing wrong with being hot, but that's not what James is interested in. Actually, what, what James is interested in us knowing about himself is something that makes being hot completely irrelevant. What is it that James wants us to know about himself? Here's what it is. James wants us to know that he has come to know the living God. That's the claim that James is making. He wants us to know that he has come to know the living God. And when you come to know the living God, being hot is completely irrelevant. Being hot or not hot, cool or not cool, pretty or not pretty, successful or not successful, rich or not rich, popular or not popular, none of these things matter. When you come to know the living God, that is the truth that relativizes all of those things. James wants us to know that that he has come to know the living God. And you see, that, that's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. What is a Christian claiming when a Christian says, I am a Christian? Well, the early church, the way they would have answered that is they would have said that what it means to be a Christian is that they have come to know the living God. And I think we get confused by that. We get confused on what we mean when we say we're a Christian. Some of us think that when we say we're a Christian, what we're saying is that, is that we adhere to a certain moral code. Now, that's what it means to be a Christian. I'm a Christian. It means I adhere to a, to a certain moral code. Well, that's certainly not how the early church would have understood it. Not that, not that becoming a Christian doesn't affect 
one's views on morality. Most certainly it does. When you come to know the living God, it affects your entire view and attitude towards morality. But, but, but to say that that's what it means to be a Christian, no, that's, not, that's not what is at the heart of being a Christian. We get confused by this. Some of us think that, that what it means to be a Christian is to hold certain political views. Uh, Christianity has been so politicized that, that it's almost like if you say you're a Christian, then whether that means that, well, that means that you actually hold the certain political views. Again, not that, that being a Christian doesn't affect the way we approach politics, though honestly, it's not always as clear-cut as some of us think that it is. No, well, certainly it affects that, but that's, that's not at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. What the early church would tell you is when they claim to be Christians, what they're saying, what James is saying is that I have come to know the living God. That's the claim James is making. I have come to know the living God. That's the claim he's making. Well, not exactly. That's not directly the claim that he's making. The claim that he's making in this passage is that he has genuine faith. That's the claim he's making. He's saying, my faith is genuine. Now, we've got to understand is that these two issues are not unrelated. Uh, do you have genuine faith? Do you know the living God? We've got to see that these are related. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. This is on page 1,152 in your pew Bibles. Galatians chapter 3. And what we're going to see here is that this issue of of having genuine faith and knowing God, that they are related. In fact, what we're going to discover, what the early Christians came to understand, is that faith is what enables you to know the living God. Faith is what enables you to know the living God. Faith and nothing else. And that's what we're going to see here in, in Galatians. Galatians 3, chapter 1, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and he's dealing with people in Galatia who seem to have missed this. So, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That doesn't sound very nice. I think he's taking this quite seriously. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Here it is. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Moving down to verse 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Of course, this is a rhetorical question which he then answers in verse 14. Moving on to verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. So you see, they're not unrelated here. What the early church came to understand is that it is faith that enables you to come to know the living God. But it's not just, and it's hinted at in this passage, it's not just sort of faith in general, like I have faith, you know, I just have faith. No, it's a very particular faith. It's faith in Jesus. This is the claim. It's faith In Jesus, that that is the faith that enables you to come to know the Spirit of God. And and, and I know that that for some of us, if you're new or visiting, that that particular claim is one that we really struggle with. This idea that that it can't just be faith, it's faith in Jesus. And and, and that, that of course, comes, we we looked a couple weeks ago at where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we, we looked at how exclusive that really is. 
And if that's something that you struggle with, I understand why you would struggle with that. And I would encourage you to go back. Two weeks ago, you can go online, and you can check out the message in which we looked at that passage to help understand why it is that Christians hold to that. But that, that, that's important to notice here. It's not just general faith. It's faith in Jesus. We see this in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is, is a remarkable verse in and of itself. But it's even more remarkable when you understand the context in which Romans 10.9 comes. Because Romans 10.9 is at the very center of a chiasm which stretches from Romans 9 to Romans 11. Romans chapter 9 to Romans 11 and Romans 10.9 is at the very center of this chiasm. Now what's a chiasm? Uh, A chiasm is a kind of palindrome. Okay, what's a palindrome? Uh, A palindrome is a word or... Uh, a word or a sequence of words or phrases that run the same forward and backwards. So I'll give you a very appropriate palindrome for Mother's Day. Mom. Mom is a palindrome. It's the same both ways, right? You read mom, mom. Dad is a palindrome. Kayak is a palindrome. My personal favorite palindrome is, go hang a salami, I'm a lasagna hog. You can figure that one out on your own. Don't take the time now. Go hang a salami. I'm a lasagna hog. Look it up. It's a, it's a palindrome. Same forward and backwards. And uh, so a chiasm is a kind of a, a palindrome where there's symmetry on both sides. And, and in a chiasm, the very center of that, when a, a, a Jewish writer would use a chiasm, the very center of it would emphasize the central point they're trying to make. One of my favorite chiasms in the Bible is the entire book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is itself a chiasm. There, there's, there's a symmetry in, in, in the way that it is written that works all its way into the middle. And, and the book of Lamentations is, is a remarkable book. It's actually a very heart-wrenching book because the book of Lamentations is written in response to the reality that God has allowed Jerusalem to fall. The Babylonians have come in and have, have, have ransacked Jerusalem and done horrible things to the people of God, and it it describes in poetry just the heart-wrenching nature of this. And so what is so remarkable is you come to the middle of the book of of Lamentations, you come to the middle of the chiasm, and and this is the central point that wants to be made from the, the Lamentations, and you know what it is? Great is thy faithfulness. In the midst of all of this heartache, in the midst of all of this difficulty, What Jeremiah wants us to know is, great is thy faithfulness of our God. So Lamentations is a a chiasm, but Romans 9 through 11 is also a chiasm. And and so you you get to the middle, Romans 10, 9 is the center of that, the focal point of that. And it's remarkable because Romans 9 through 11 is one of the densest and most controversial sections of Scripture. But what's wonderful is when you realize that it's a chiasm, you realize that the main point that he's driving home surfaces in Romans 10.9. And you know what Romans 10.9 says. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the central point which Paul wants to draw out. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will come to know the Spirit both now and in eternity. You see, it's about belief. It's about professing faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus and faith 
alone that saves, faith alone that enables the Spirit to come into our lives. And James isn't challenging that. James isn't challenging that we are saved by faith alone. On the surface, it may seem like he does. As you read through this, on the surface, it seems like James is challenging this. But as we unpack this, we'll see that there, there's more to it than what we see on the surface. Let me start by just highlighting, perhaps, where the conflict really comes. Uh, that there is this tension, it seems, between what James says and what Paul says on this particular issue. And the tension is highlighted best if you look at James 2.24, which is part of our section today, and you compare it with Romans 3.28. If we can go to that slide here, Nick. Look, this is... This is James 2.24, and and this is a more straightforward translation than what we have in the NIV here. And this is a comparison between what James says and what Paul says. James says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul says a person is justified by faith and not by works of the law. Now, on the surface, this seems to be about as intention as you could possibly get. But there are a number of things we need to observe, and, and there's, there's a lot of discussion about this. A lot of discussion has been going on for, well, centuries, to be honest with you. But let me just kind of unpack some of this for you here. One of the things that a number of scholars will want us to observe is that it's possible that when Paul talks about works of the law, he's not talking about exactly the same thing as James when he talks about works. As some will argue, what Paul's talking about when he talks about the works of the law is he's talking about the entire the entirety of the Torah, the entirety of the law of the people of of Israel. And and in particular, then, he's talking about uh, not just moral good deeds, but he's also talking about all those aspects of the law which which emphasized a sort of Jewish ethnicity and and, and emphasized that as being a part of of what marks you out as God's people. And so, of course, what Paul's saying is, no... that in light of Christ, it's not about your Jewish distinctiveness, whether you've been circumcised or follow food laws and all that kind of, that, 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 that no longer applies. That, that, that's, that's what he's hitting. He's saying all of that, uh, he's referring to all of that, where when James talks about works, he's talking more particularly simply about uh, moral good deeds. So there the conflict would be resolved there. Another way of saying it is that, uh, that in Paul's mind, you know, there might not be a direct antithesis uh, between uh, faith and works of the law. Here's what I mean by that. There could be some sort of overlap. I'll give you an example of this. If I were to, to say to you that a person is justified by using a Mac, not by using a PC, a person is justified by using a Mac. In other words, what is justification? Well, justification is being made right with God. It means that you have been declared right and acceptable to God. So I think the Mac PC thing is a good illustration because I do think that he accepts people who use Macs uh, above people who use PCs. That's just kind of my own personal opinion. So, so what he's saying here is that, uh, uh, okay, you're justified by using a, a, a Mac, not a PC. Because a PC, that was the old age. That was the law of sin and death. And, and, and now the Mac, that's, that's the new world. That's the new age. That's the eschaton having come. But you've got to realize that there are some similarities between PCs and Macs. They both have keyboards. They both have screens. So there's not necessarily a direct antithesis there. Another thing that we can observe 
uh, is this whole concept of justification. Again, what is justification? Justification is being declared right in the eyes of God. Being declared right and, and welcomed into his covenant people. That's what it means to be justified. And it seems that the early church understood justification. This is one possibility anyways, is that the church understood justification uh, as they understood a lot of things in light of Christ. They understood justification to have both a present dimension and a future dimension. That there's a such thing as present justification and future justification. And so, uh, as we might, might see it, uh, present justification is, is where in the present, when you profess faith in Christ, well, what happens in present justification, just that, just that profession of faith, Romans 10.9, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Just in that profession of faith, you are made right with God and the Spirit of God comes into your life. But what happens when the Spirit of God comes into your life? The Spirit begins to work in you and changes you and changes the way you live your life and changes what you do. And then that is accounted for in the final justification. It's all grace. It's all by grace. It's all, it's all by grace, whether it's Jesus' death on the cross or it's the application of that through His Spirit working in us. It's all God. It's all grace. Now, if there's any truth to either or both of these possible explanations, then it gives us a window into understanding this, this word faith and understanding the, the depths of what faith can, can mean. You know, one of the things that is a little bit confusing is that we have three English words that are all kind of similar but, but are a little bit different. We have faith, we have belief, and we have trust. Faith, belief, and trust. What's interesting is that in, in the New Testament, in New Testament Greek, there's just one word that they use. And, and, and so sometimes, so translators have to decide, well, is, what, how should we translate this? Believe, trust, faith. Because there's just one word that, that is used in, in these different contexts. And so because of that somewhat ambiguity of the word pistis, this Greek word, that might even be part of the reason why there's confusion amongst the early church. And that might even be why James is is addressing this issue in the first place. And what James wants us to understand is that there is a difference between simple belief and trust. There's a difference to just simple belief, between just believing and trusting. I, I believe that this chair will hold me. I believe that. But to trust, right, that, that, that's to actually, to actually do it, right? That's to actually sit down in that chair. That's another whole level. It's to trust. And so I, I, what James, I think, is probably saying here is that, you know, you know yes, you, in that initial profession of faith, you believe. It's just a matter of saying, yes, God, I, I believe you. In that profession of faith, I believe that's true. But if that, if that belief is genuine, it's going to result in trust. It's going to result in trusting in God. And that's what he's getting at when he says in verse 19, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He's saying, you know, demons, they have orthodox theology. They get it. They sign off on the doctrinal statement. They, they, they believe it, a mental assent to it. There's a difference between believing in God and trusting in God. And so what James wants us to know the claim that he's making. It's not simply that he believes. 
but that he trusts God. That's what he means by faith. And this brings us back then to this question at the beginning. Okay, James, you make that claim. You, you claim to have genuine faith, not just mental assent, but a belief that trusts. You claim to, to, to trust. You claim to have genuine faith. Why should we believe you? Why should we believe you, James, that, that you have this genuine faith? What's James's answer? He says, don't believe me. Don't believe me just because I say I have genuine faith. Don't believe me when I, just because I say that I have come to know the living God. Don't believe me. Just watch. Just watch. Verse 18, you, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. He said, don't believe me. Don't believe me just what I say. He said, don't believe me. Just watch. Watch what I do. Well, what is it that we should be watching for, James? What is it that you're going to do? Is it dancing? Is that what it is? We should watch to see if you're, if you're a good dancer? Uh, no, James would say. Yes, James gives the same answer as Bruno Mars gives, but it's to an entirely different question. The question which Bruno is responding to is, is, how do we know that you're hot? And I guess if that's what you're trying to establish, you could probably establish that uh, through your dancing. right? If you're a good dancer, then I guess you're hot. They don't believe me. Don't believe that I'm hot. Just watch me dance. Uh, but if you want to demonstrate that you have genuine faith and that you've come to know the living God, it's going to take more than just being a good dancer. Not that there's anything wrong with dancing. Not that there's anything unspiritual about dancing. My wife and I are planning on renewing our vows sometime in the next couple of years. And one of the reasons we want to renew our vows is because at our original wedding, we didn't really have time to dance. So you can bet that when we, when we uh, renew our vows, there's going to be a significant time of dancing afterwards. Uh, in fact, Uptown Funk will probably be on the playlist. So you see... It's not that there's anything unspiritual about dancing, but, but simply dancing or being a good dancer, that may demonstrate that you're hot. It doesn't demonstrate that you have genuine faith. It doesn't necessarily demonstrate that you have come to know the living God. So what is it, James? What should we be watching for? What is it that you do? I know, it must be, it must be the fact that you come to church. It must be the fact that you come and, 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 and you come to church faithfully and, and, and you, it must be that you're involved in a community group. That, that, that must be what it is. You're, you come to church, you're involved in a community group. Uh, you, you get up every morning or most mornings or sometimes you get up and you read your Bible, right? That must be what it is. Is that what it is? Is that what we should be looking for, James? Verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22, James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You see, that, that's what we do in our religious activities. It's, it's all centered around the word. We gather together, we worship, we sing songs based on the word of God. We gather together and we, we, we look at a passage and we study the word of God. When we get together in our community groups, we, we study the word of God. When, when you get up in the morning and have a quiet time, what do you do? You study the the, the Word of God, and, and we listen to the Word of God. That's what our, all of our religious activities are centered around. And, and James wants us to know, he says, look, be careful. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You say, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that going to church and reading your Bible and being in a community group that really doesn't make any difference? Does it matter? No. But we need to understand what is behind our getting together and studying the word. And, and here's what we need to understand is that our gathering together and our getting together in community group, and when you get up in the morning and you read your Bible, that does not in and of itself demonstrate you have genuine faith. It's designed to cultivate genuine faith. You need that. We need this. But it's not that this demonstrates that you have genuine faith, right? It's not like, look at me, I go to church, I must have genuine faith. Look, we all know that that is not what demonstrates genuine faith. And if we don't know that, you know who does know that? Your neighbors, your friends, they know this. They're not impressed that we go to church. They don't think, oh, you go to church, you must know the living God. They, they get that. That can't be it. What does it do? What is, what is the purpose of getting together? It's not simply to demonstrate our genuine faith, well, certainly that's a part of it. But, but really, what it is, is we get together and we worship and we study the Word of God and we get together in community group. It's not so much demonstrating that we have genuine faith. We need it to cultivate genuine faith. And this is what James says, actually, in the verse right before, verse, verse 19, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you. He's not saying that listening to the Word of God is irrelevant. No, he's saying the word of God, that's what can save you. That's what can bring about genuine faith. That's what can bring about genuine faith and then enable you to come to know the spirit of God. Paul says the same thing. He says faith comes by hearing. So we gather together, it's, it's to cultivate genuine faith, but not in and of itself does not demonstrate genuine faith. So what is it? What is it, James? You say, don't, don't believe me, just watch. Well, what is it that you want us to watch? Verse 26, 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What is he saying? He's saying, how do you know that I have genuine faith? How can you know that I've come to know the living God? By looking at how I love people. That's how you'll know. That's how you'll know that, that I have genuine faith, that I know God. It's because of how I love people. That's how you'll know I have genuine faith. see, in the midst of all the controversy and debates about what James and Paul is saying, at the end of the day, they're on the same page because as you move through the book of Galatians, you come to Galatians chapter 5, and what does Paul say? He says, he says circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't matter. All that counts, all that matters is faith expressing itself through love. He's not saying that love is something that's tacked on to faith. He's saying that that genuine faith expresses itself through love. And, and we need to see why. There's a vital connection here, and he, here's why. You see, when we fail to love, ultimately, I think the reason why we fail to love is a lack of faith. When you fail to love someone, it ultimately stems 
from a lack of faith. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can love this person. I don't know if I can use these resources because I'm kind of tight, kind of tight on cash, kind of tight on time. I don't think I can love, so I'm not, I'm not going to. What's going on there? You're not trusting that God's going to take care of you. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, boy, you know what? You know, I, I, I want to help. I want to help this person, but you know what? I, I really don't trust it's going to make any difference. You see, some of us, we, we, we get so jaded. It's like, why would I even help? It's not going to make any difference at all. What's going, what are you saying? It's, I don't trust that God's going to do anything in this situation. You see, at the end of the day, what, what hinders us from loving people is a lack of faith. It's that fear that I'm going to be taken advantage of. It's that fear that I'm going to get nothing in return. And if that happens, well, then, then, well, then what's going to happen to me? And faith expressing itself through love. Today, we are kicking off this initiative, starting with this sermon, and in the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be, this whole initiative is called Love Your Neighbor, and that's what we're going to be looking at the next several weeks. And this is my prayer for our church. My prayer for our church is that as we go out in the community and we profess to know the living God. But we would say to people, because when we do that, you know what's going to happen. They're going to say, well, how do we know that? Why should I believe you? Why should I believe that you know the living God? And my prayer is that we as a church increasingly would say, don't believe me. Watch. Don't believe me. Just watch. Just, Just watch how I love people with my words. Watch how I encourage people. Watch how I build people up. Watch how I'm, I'm careful not to criticize Watch how when I have to tell somebody the hard truth because I love them, I look to find a way to do it that is very sensitive because I realize that part of what it means to be loving is not only to to say the right thing, but to say it in the right way, that that's an important part of what it means to love someone. Watch how when I give the hard truth to someone, watch how they receive it well. Because I have spent so much time building them up, so much time encouraging them, that when that time comes when I have to tell them something very hard, they know that it comes from a place of love. Don't believe me. Don't believe me when I say that I have come to know the living God. Don't believe me. Just watch. Watch how when sin does get the best of me because I'm not perfect, Watch how when sin gets the best of me and I get defensive or I get insecure and I end up saying something that's, that comes out of all of that. Watch how I acknowledge that, confess that, and apologize. One of the greatest ways to show love, to demonstrate that you've come to know the living God is your ability to humble yourself and acknowledge and apologize for what you've done. Don't believe me. Don't believe me that I know the living God just because I say I do. Don't believe me. Just watch. Watch how I love people. Watch how I care for people. Watch how I welcome people into my home. Watch how I reach out to those who are hurting, and and I don't judge them. I don't ask whether or not they deserve it or not. I just love them. Watch how I take my resources, and instead of spending them on myself, I consistently say, you know what? I could get what I want, or I could get this for something that somebody needs. 
not just once a year for a tax write-off, but I do this regularly, consistently. I'm always asking myself, well, I want this, but you know what? This person really needs this. Watch me. Watch. Don't just believe. Don't just believe that I know the living God because of what I say. Don't believe me. Just watch. That's my prayer for our church. That we would go out into this community and we'd say, don't, don't just believe. Watch Dear God, we praise you for your abundant grace. Praise you that you are a God who loves us so much that you came to this earth and you gave the ultimate sacrifice. God, we praise you for the faith of Jesus, that it was his faith, his trusting in his heavenly Father that enabled him to exercise such love. And I pray that we would be united with Christ and in so doing would grow in our faith and be able to exercise that same faith that he exercised on the cross which expresses itself in sacrificial love. God, may we be known as a church that doesn't just say that we know you but is made evident through the things that we do and the way we love others. Pray this in Jesus' name.